0: Welcome to This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 24 years. By day, I'm a process analyst in the power industry and by night I'm a writer, podcast host, and accountability coach. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jesse Tuggy and I've had type 1 diabetes for about 8 years now. I love
1: hiking and painting and I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after college. My
0: diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 38 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're discussing the effect of our environments on how we manage our diabetes. This is especially important as of this recording because we're right in the middle of the global COVID-19 pandemic, which has absolutely affected the environments we're in and for many people affected their diabetes too. Just a quick reminder for everyone, if you have any questions about type 1 diabetes, please leave us a comment or an email at colleen at inspiredforward.com. We answer listener questions in future episodes. I am up for the win of the week. I think I'm getting better at preempting low blood sugars when I go on my afternoon walk. I've been making sure I watch my blood sugar for the last hour, half hour of my workday and then adjust insulin or have a Smarty roll so my pre-walk blood sugar is appropriate and then turn insulin off ahead of time if I can. I also carry Smarties with me for the 20-minute walk just in case I need to catch it coming down. Because I'm working from home, I need a transition period to get me out of work mode and into home mode and the walks are really helping with that. I just don't want to have to have a low blood sugar afterwards. It also helps that I now have Control IQ, which has an exercise mode that adjusts the target range and stops or reduces basal rates when it predicts a low within 30 minutes. Jesse, you are up for the fail of the week.
1: Yes, I am. And I say this very sadly. So a couple of days ago, I didn't realize this, but I had a low reservoir alarm on my pump. And, you know, sometimes your alarms just go off. I think I was having a conversation with my dad or my brother where I just like wasn't paying attention to my pump for a short period of time and I turned off the alarm. It was a low reservoir alarm and I didn't really know that. And it was like six o'clock at night and I had already eaten. So it wasn't that big of a deal. I knew I could get through the night, but I didn't know I had a low reservoir. So at like 2 a.m. I wake up to this blaring alarm right next to my head and I was mostly really realized that it was, again, a low reservoir alarm. So um, I turned it off because I thought it was like a calibration alarm on my pump. So it has the timer where I could, you know, check it again or the calibration alarm wouldn't go off again for an hour. And I thought the low reservoir alarm was that. It wasn't. So I woke up the next morning and I see I have no units on my pump and I'm like, how how did that happen and I tried to rack my brain and then all of a sudden I put two and two together and I realized what those alarms were in the middle of the night but luckily I woke up with a blood sugar of 89 so I really wasn't that concerned and for me 20 units usually gets me through the night so I wasn't too concerned about it even if you know stuff like that happens it's just normal it's part of being diabetic I
0: just feel kind of
1: dumb
0: but (laughs) it's all good. I'm impressed that your blood sugar was 89 after going without insulin for probably maybe an hour or more.
1: It was a good couple of hours. I'll say that since I've been on this new pump that Medtronic gave me, my blood sugars have been like really, really good. Like I went above 300 one time in the last week and that's cause I accidentally had some Oreos without putting in for them. Quarantine's doing some weird things to me right now but um, it's doing weird things to all of us. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been really, really good lately. And I, I don't really know why, because all the settings are the same, but it's been really awesome. So I'm, I'm, I'm just riding a high. I'm like, awesome. I don't have
0: to worry about this for a couple of days. I bet it's partially, you don't have as much stress with school. Mm, that sounds true. That actually makes a lot of sense.
1: Because during the summers, I don't, I have really awesome A1Cs, like really, really awesome, and really great blood sugars. That actually makes so much more sense. And then during the school year, I have higher, good A1Cs, higher, but wow, that makes a lot more sense.
0: That's an environmental factor, which we're gonna talk about today. Hey, look at that. <laughs> okay, I also have the hack this week. And the hack this week is to use heat as a supplement for bringing down a high blood sugar. Make sure you're properly hydrated and wrap yourself up in a heated blanket or jump in a hot shower. High temperatures make blood vessels dilate, which increases the rate that insulin gets absorbed. I sleep with a heated blanket and I have to be careful about leaving it on high all night in case it causes my blood sugar to go too low. Now, I want to start this episode off with an observation. Many type 1 diabetes diagnoses happen in the fall right with the changing of the seasons. I was diagnosed on September 19th and Jesse was diagnosed on September 27th. A couple of our guests were diagnosed in the dead of winter. Alex Vickers from episode 12 was diagnosed on New Year's Eve and Rob Howe from episode 24 was diagnosed on New Year's Day. Elena Moltkanova, a statistician at the National Institute for Health and Welfare in Helsinki, who led a 2009 study on how cold weather affects diabetes diagnoses said that numerous reasons have been suggested for the apparent seasonality of the onset of type 1 diabetes. These include a seasonal variation in people's levels of blood glucose and insulin, seasonal viral infections, the fact that young people tend to eat more and do less physical activity during winter months, and similarly, that summer holidays provide a rest from school stress and more opportunity to play outdoors. The study also found that diabetes clinics, which were further away from the equator, we're more likely to have greater numbers of new cases in winter.
1: I'll also speak to the young people getting less exercise and eating more. This is very true. So during the summer, all of my friends were having fun, we're doing things, we're not really caring. But we definitely increase on both carb intake and on food intake on in general when the seasons change because I think we're stuck at home so much and we're just constantly around that like food and there's nowhere else to go except for the kitchen. So I think that's just a contributing factor.
0: So it's related to weather environment in some shape or form. The weather or climate is just one of thousands of environmental factors we live with every day. What we want to talk about in this episode is not how your environment might trigger an inherent disposition to type 1 diabetes, but how our environments can directly affect how well we control it. Adam Brown, guest contributor to Diatribe, compiled a list of 42 factors that affect blood sugar. Five of them are categorized as environmental, including expired insulin, inaccurate blood glucose reading, outside temperature, sunburn, and altitude. Expired insulin is less effective, as is heat-affected insulin. Any pump user knows that the longer a site is in, the less effective the insulin becomes. I discovered almost embarrassingly late that it was because my pump is always against my skin and the electronics themselves in the tandem pumps generate enough heat to affect the insulin quality after three or four days. It's important to always check your insulin vial before drying up for a new site to see if it's cloudy or separated. Those indicate that it's denatured and you really shouldn't use it. Similarly, never freeze your insulin, that will ruin it. Getting an inaccurate blood glucose reading either from your meter or your CGM can definitely affect your control because if you don't know it's wrong, you'll treat from that wrong number and end up worse off down the road. Maybe it read too low and so you ate a low snack and now you're way too high. Or maybe it read too high, you corrected it, and now you're eating the kitchen to correct the low. That's always fun. For CGMs, direct pressure on the sensor, especially when sleeping, can trigger what's called a compression low. It's a false low reading, usually abrupt and unexpected, and if treated like a normal low, it will throw off the rest of your day or night. If the reading is inaccurate on your meter, It could be because of expired strips or a dirty finger. Once again, wash your hands or use hand sanitizer before testing your blood sugar. The outside temperature, but also direct temperature to the body like during a hot shower or in a heated blanket also affects your blood sugar. Remember our hack. If you're outside during a scorching summer day and you're well hydrated, your blood sugar might drop. If you're not hydrated, your blood sugar can go high. Cold weather can introduce a lot of external factors that increase blood sugar. Less exercise, more food, and it's harder to test your blood sugar with cold hands. I've noticed that whenever I go skiing, my blood sugar is usually higher than normal, and that's partially due to the cold conditions.
1: I think the uh, seasons have a lot to do with their blood sugars, to be honest, especially during the summer, because if you see kids during camp, their blood sugars are constantly low because they're constantly doing activities and having fun and doing you know, kid things running around. But when you look at their charts, you'll see that their A1Cs are generally higher. And I think this has a lot to do with contributing factors like the seasons because they're stuck at home more and they're not doing as much activity.
0: I always find it funny when they all get so upset when their sites fall off and their sensors fall off after they've been in the water every single day. It's like that doesn't happen normally. So this is a different environment for you.
1: Yeah, I think it's, Being around other diabetics, oh, this is going to sound awful. You know how periods sync up with women who live Mm -hmm. together? Oh, yeah. I think there's something along the lines of that happening at camp sometimes. Oh, like your friend is low and so you're low? (laughs) Yeah. It's happened to me before. Like, I was at a, it was a really long time ago, but we were at this like day camp for diabetics and my parents were getting pump information. And they took all the kids, there was like 50 of us, to go play outside. And my blood sugar was 150. And then the girl who I made friends with was like 68. And then 10 minutes later, I was 68. So I definitely think there's something we said there for like, you know, external factors and, you know, seasons and stuff. But I don't know. I just,
0: I thought of that. (laughs) I think it's funny. I don't think it's horrible. I think it's funny. So the next one is sunburn. Now, Sunburn is a really interesting environmental factor for blood sugars. According to the CDC, the pain causes stress. And as we know, stress increases blood sugar levels. If you ever get a large sunburn across your body, make sure you're checking your blood sugar more often. When I was 16, I went to the Thermopolis Hot Springs in Wyoming with my godparents. I put sunscreen on, but at some point while laying out in the sun, I rolled over onto my stomach and my entire back burned up. The sunscreen must have worn off by that point. It was the worst sunburn of my life. It lasted for weeks, and the pain was awful. Taking a shower was basically an exercise in not screaming, and sleeping was really hard. (laughs) I don't remember what my blood sugars were like during that ordeal, but I'm 100% willing to bet that they were through the roof the whole time. I, I even remember my pajama top kind of sticking to my back and then trying to peel it off without hurting my back even more. Jesse's making faces at me right now. Such fun times. So pro tip, wear sunscreen, don't get burned. That was the burn that led to true appreciation for sunscreen and aloe vera gel. So Jesse, have you noticed any higher blood sugars when you have a sunburn?
1: Actually, I noticed the exact opposite. When I was in sixth grade, I got a really big bad sunburn on my thigh. Luckily, I was wearing shorts the whole summer, so I didn't like stick to anything for a while. But it was peely, it was awful. It, it it was just really, really bad. But I noticed like the day after I got it, my blood sugar was just low, like all day. And I didn't really think about the sunburn being a factor until I heard this story and started reading through it. But I don't think it caused high blood sugars. Because we were on vacation, I was, you know, doing all my jet skiing and, you know, stuff like that. So I wasn't paying too much attention to like highs or lows. But Definitely. That next day, we were just hanging out that day because everybody got sunburnt from the day before. So my blood sugar was just low all day.
0: But I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. So this is a good reason why you should pay attention to what's going on, like getting a sunburn, and then pay attention to what your blood sugar is doing because it's not all one size fits all. Like everything else, it affects everybody differently. Right. It sounds like as a general rule that sunburns do make blood sugars go higher, but you might be a special case because sometimes stress makes you go low. Yeah. No, I think I'm just a special case when it comes to stress, period. Like
1: whenever we mention something about, oh yeah, stress can cause this, 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 and this, and that causes your blood sugar to go high. Well, for me, it's usually been the exact opposite. Like my blood sugars go lower rather than they go up. And I'm just like, okay, well, I guess I'm just special
0: and unique and awesome. And that's your reality. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yes, it is.
0: So the last of the environmental factors in Adam's 42 factors chart is altitude. We've talked about air travel with type 1 diabetes, and specifically for pump users, the altitude triggers a rule in physics called Bernoulli's principle. When the aircraft takes off, air bubbles form in the reservoir or cartridge and block insulin delivery. You're not getting the insulin you expected you were, so your blood sugar goes up. And when you land, the decrease in altitude reverses Bernoulli's principle and pushes more insulin through the tubing than you need. It's not something you can stop with suspending the pump because it's the physics of the liquid and the altitude. If you unhook, that will prevent the insulin from being delivered, but unhooking on a plane during landing is a huge hassle for a lot of people, especially me, because most of my sights go on my butt. The resulting low blood sugar from landing is called baggage claim low. But other than airplanes, altitude with two feet on the ground also affects it. I guess it's more called elevation. Adam's chart doesn't specify how, because it depends on the person. I live at or around sea level, maybe a hundred, a few hundred feet up on a hill. But what about when I travel to a state with much higher elevation, like Colorado? Well, when I've traveled to Colorado Springs in 2018 for work, I noticed that my blood sugars were a lot higher for a lot longer, and it took a lot more insulin to bring it down. Most notably, I drove to the Garden of the Gods, which is a really cool park with these really beautiful rock structures, and I walked around. My blood sugar was in the 300s and barely came down even after walking around the park with a lot of insulin on board. I remember just being so frustrated with it. After that, I went to downtown Colorado Springs and then just walked up and down Main Street to help bring my blood sugars down. That was a trip I was just so grateful to have my CGM. So those are the five environmental factors that Diatribe identified. But what about other things? Like the household you're in, your school or your workplace, how much stress you're under. That's really the big thing is stress. Whether you're quarantined with someone you like or not, where you live. I think stress is one of the most important factors to understand and watch for when you're managing your diabetes. When you're really stressed out, it's a lot easier to experience high blood sugars, unless you're Jesse which trigger a cycle of stress and stress response, and your numbers can stay high for hours. I've mentioned this before, whenever I go through TSA, my blood sugars go up because of the stress involved. When we talked with Pastor Seth Bodie in episode 32, he mentioned that his blood sugar goes up every Sunday when he preaches. When I speak at company conferences or in front of large audiences, my adrenaline stress response makes my blood sugar go up. A huge stressor for a lot of young adults is college. My blood sugars through college were on a roller coaster from a combination of a high-carb diet and lots of stress. My weight suffered, too. Every time I went to my endocrinologist for a checkup, she reminded me that stress affects blood sugar, and college is stressful. But I interpreted that to mean that after school was over and I graduated, that I'd experienced less stress, and that's not the case at all. Working introduces stress, too. Stress is part of the human experience. We talked in episode 18 about handling stress specifically as a type 1 diabetic. Part of the problem with stress is the resistance to it. Life is 50-50, which means half of the time it's going to seem bad and half of the time it's going to seem good. Accepting that stress is part of the deal actually helps reduce the level of stress you feel. Ironic, right? Okay, so what about the house you're in? What kind of neighborhood do you live in? It's interesting to think how your location affects your diabetes control. If you're in the middle of a big city and you can walk everywhere, you might have better glucose control than if you lived out in the rural areas and have to drive everywhere to get to or do anything. If your house is perpetually dirty, that could affect your health. We actually know that black mold causes all sorts of health problems, and if you live in a house with black mold, you can experience a lot of preventable health problems just by getting out or having it deep cleaned. There's a TED Talk by Dr. Rishi Manchanda, a doctor in South Central Los Angeles who recognized that many of his repeat patients coming in with health problems that came directly from the homes they were in and their environments. In the TED video description, it says, his job isn't just about treating a patient's symptoms, but about getting to the root cause of what is making them ill, the upstream factors like a poor diet, a stressful job, a lack of fresh air. It's a powerful call for doctors to pay attention to a patient's life outside the exam room. This is also applicable to those with type 1 diabetes. What else is going on in your life that affects your control? And we'll link to that TED Talk in the show notes. The part of the country you live in could also affect your control. Do you have access to good doctors? Does your workplace have a contract with a good insurance company? Does that insurance company even cover the supplies you want? Have you had to deal with non-medical switching for your insulin, your pump, your CDM, or anything else? And you can learn more about non-medical switching in episode seven. Jesse, what are some environmental factors that you've noticed?
1: For me, stress is definitely, you know, a big issue. Environmental factor. I don't really know what it does to my blood sugar as much as I would like to, just because every situation is different. But there are definitely times when I go to unfamiliar places like concerts or new hikes or different grocery stores or someone's apartment or someone's new house where my blood sugar has definitely been affected, where it'll either go up because I'm stressed out, I don't know where I'm
0: going, I don't know what I'm doing. I actually have a good story about someone else's house affecting my blood sugar. So Alexa Brenner, who we had on for episode 20, we had her on. I used to go over to her house, it felt like all the time. And every time I went over to her house, my blood sugar would be low, like every single time. And we used to joke that, it was the air that was making my blood sugar low. and So I would just have to have extra, extra snacks on hand or like let her know when my blood sugar was going too low and have to eat something. But it was, it was just something I noticed and she noticed and her dad noticed that I was always low whenever I went over to her house.
1: It's actually pretty funny. Let's see, going through the store and I'm hungry. Now, I know there's a lot of taboos about going through the store and being hungry, because you'll buy more things that you really don't need or want later on. But for me, when I go to the store and I'm even the slightest bit hungry, like I ate an hour ago, but I'm still kinda, you know, I can eat something else, my blood sugar will plummet. And I'll have to either end up eating something in the store and paying for it later, or going to my truck and grabbing a gummy snack really fast and then continue shopping. Then it comes to situations with other people. So if I'm talking to someone and I know that they have a lot for me to do, like a coworker or a boss, I know my blood sugars will either go up because of the amount of stress that they are presenting to me, or they'll go down because I'm so focused on doing the tasks that my blood sugars sometimes take a second seat, and that's not really good. So I always try and pay extra close attention to what they're telling me, write it down, have snacks on me, and then continue to do my job. So going to the beach compared to large crowds. Going to the beach is super relaxful for me, and I really love going to the beach. And then being in large crowds kind of stress me out sometimes, which is fine. It, it's totally cool. So when I go to the beach, my blushers are easy to manage. They're less than 150, no higher than 80. They're really good. They're always in range. But when I'm in large crowds walking around or looking at something or being around people that are just too close, my sugars are more difficult to control, meaning they'll go down and I won't be able to get them back up. They'll go up and I can't get them back down for a while. It all just really depends on how many people I'm around or, you know, what the, and I say quote, vibe is of the crowd. So it just depends. Emotional states definitely take a big toll on my blood sugars. So when I'm sad or stressed out or not in a good mood, my blood sugars are affected. They usually go up very close to three hundred, and they'll just stay there. They'll kind of plateau, which I think is fairly normal for most teenage diabetics. Is that they'll see that plateau of emotions, and then their blood sugars are also affected by it. Taking tests, I. Taking tests are the worst for me because my blood sugars will always go up. And since I'm in AP classes, for those of you who don't know, advanced placement classes, we take this big end of the year exam, which got canceled this year, where you go down to a church, you go with about 300 other kids who took the same class as you and are taking the same test as you are. And you can't look at each other. You have to be six feet away from each other. You have to have a separate table a separate desk everything is so strict and separate that I had to get written confirmation from my doctor to be able to bring snacks my testing kit my pump that will go off in the middle of exams and food in with me because those things are against the rules and regulations of the college board tests
0: yeah I had to do basically do the same thing for the proctor when I took my SAT And my blood sugar was, I think it stayed around 300 for the entire test. It was great. No,
1: it's awful. And I had to take it. Last year, I had to take three tests similar to that. And whenever my pump would go off, even in the slightest, I love the volunteers who come in, but the people who just don't understand what diabetes is and then try to tell you you're wrong really upset diabetics. And I had one of those ladies the tests and she came over and was like you need to turn that off and I said no I I really can't I'm type 1 diabetic it's my insulin pump and she's like you can't talk during this test I'm pretty sure she only came over just to cause problems but I handled it fine I said I'll turn it off but I'm type 1 diabetic and she would do that every time my pump went off. And so finally I just put it on the table. Like I took off my pump and set it on the table and she freaked out because she didn't realize that it was attached to my body and didn't realize the insensitivity she was displaying towards a diabetic who had written consent from the college board, from the
0: proctors, from literally everybody except for her. So some people go on power trips and then you have to do stuff like Actually, show them it's got a tube. Yeah. So that was fun. Those always affect my blood sugar. I was always high
1: during AP tests and SAT testing and PSAT testing. So, testing is
0: a good environment to have your pump on vibrate.
1: No, I always have my pump on vibrate.
0: It's. But it was loud enough that she could hear it? Yeah, because she Uh,
1: kept. She walked back and forth down my row specifically. That's suspicious. Yeah, she really. It's whatever. It's whatever. It's in the past. You know, I see her every now and then and just avoid her. It's cool. So it's all good. It's good. She's probably embarrassed. You know, I'm just angry. So (laughs) you don't have to be angry. No, I will. I'm not angry anymore, but like
0: that. Right. But in the moment it's, I totally understand. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was just, really upsetting because I was like, well, I really can't control what my blood sugars are doing at the moment because I was stressed out, trying to get all the answers right. I was trying to pass. There was a lot of pressure. So that really affects your blood sugars. It just goes up and
0: it stays there. So before we started recording, you told me a story about auto mode, like the first time you had auto mode.
1: Yeah. So this was pretty funny. So I was first on auto mode in my eighth grade slash freshman year area. And I was still this very timid, shy, you know, I knew my place kind of kid where I was just in the back taking a test. And I had this teacher, he was my AP human geography teacher. And if he's listening to this, or if he ever does decide to listen to the show, I hope he doesn't get mad at me for saying these things. But so I was my first time really handling a situation without my parents around. And, you know, I had to hold my own ground for once, which was very new to me. So my pump went off in the middle of our first written exam at school. And I didn't really know what to do. And he thought it was a phone. And he's a pretty funny, dramatic guy. And he got up in front of the class and ripped the whole class a new one saying that we're not supposed to have phones. Whoever's phone was that, they should give it up. And, you know, this, that, and the other thing. It went on for five minutes and everybody was freaking out. And internally, I was just, I was like, oh my God, this guy is nuts. And I had sent him an email like a week prior to this saying, hey, I'm diabetic. If my pump goes off, just ignore it. I really, I know what I'm doing. And I don't think that internalized with him because of this long tangent that he was going on. So when he finally took a pause, I raised my hand and he thought that it was my phone. So he was like, what is it, Tuggy? And I was like, um, sir, that was my insulin pump. I sent you an email about it last week. I'm just diabetic and I have to eat something so I don't die. And I said it with a question mark. I remember, oh my god, I remember I said it with a question mark because I was like so, so not ready to get detention on the first week of my freshman year because I was, I was very timid and scared. And (laughs) he looks at me and he goes oh okay and it was the funniest thing ever and he was so grumpy and like grumbly about it for the next week he's like how's your diabetes going like blah blah him and I eventually ended up being really cool with each other and he's a really funny person so every time my pump would go off in class after that he would just be like Tuggy turn your phone off just to annoy me. And it was the funniest thing ever. And he'll still do it up to this day. Whenever I see him in the halls and I'm talking with them and my pump goes off. Turn your phone off. Oh, he's a funny guy. That's a great story. Yeah, I'll never forget that. That was I really hope when we do our senior presentations that he's one of the proctors for it because I will be telling that story. And it's I oh, it's gonna
0: be awesome. So you've kind of heard through this whole episode that the great thing about environmental factors is that you can change a lot of them. You have control over where you live, unless you're a minor, where you work, how you eat, what you eat, unless you don't buy the food, and how you handle stress. You have control over your diabetes. And now it's time for the diabetes spotlight. And the spotlight this week is on the JDRF, the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. They're leading the efforts to spread awareness that type 1 diabetes does not make you more at risk for COVID-19, despite everyone else reporting that diabetes is a risk factor. On March 24th, JDRF posted a coronavirus FAQ, which we'll link to in the show notes, and we're going to go through some highlights from that article. The first one is, are those of us with type 1 diabetes more susceptible to catching COVID-19? This is the most frequently asked question and carries with it so much understandable concern. The answer from leading physicians and experts across the country is no. People who have well-managed type one are not more likely to contract COVID-19, but those with consistently elevated blood sugar levels are likely to be at a greater risk. Dr. Ann Peters, director of the University of Southern California clinical diabetes programs and practicing physician, shared that type one diabetes all by itself is unlikely to be a risk factor for catching COVID-19. We do know that poorly controlled blood sugars create an increased risk for all infections. And so there is no reason to think that this illness would be any different. Older people, sick people need to be very, very careful not to get this. Younger people, healthy people in good condition, she doesn't believe they're at higher risk. Next question, why is the CDC and World Health Organization saying that having diabetes does put us at greater risk? The categorization for those with diabetes are at higher risk is broad and without specificity. For those with type 1, it applies directly to those without well managed type 1. Dr. Mary Pat Gallagher, Director of Pediatric Diabetes at the Pediatric Diabetes Center at Hassenfeld Hospital in New York City, says, I can understand the confusion. The CDC and the World Health Organization and the American Diabetes Association all mention that there are certain conditions that put you at increased risk or higher risk for severe illness and diabetes is on that list. When you don't separate out what type of diabetes a person has, and you don't separate them by age, and you don't separate them by other medical conditions that also occur, and you don't separate by their glycemic control, you just take everyone into one pot, people with diabetes are hospitalized more often with COVID-19 as well as other respiratory illnesses, and they have a higher fatality rate. However, if we do control for all of those things, for age, for other types of diagnoses that occur, it changes things dramatically. What we know about COVID 19 is that it seems that those with type 1 are equally, not more, susceptible. The next question is if someone with type 1 gets COVID 19, are they at greater risk for developing serious complications? Several experts and physicians have repeatedly told JDRF that those with well managed type 1 and those who continue to manage glucose levels through this or any illness should be at no greater risk for developing serious complications from COVID 19. Managing glucose levels during an illness can be challenging but it is critically important.
1: I just wanted to add that I read an article produced by New York Times that some hospitals are running out of medical supplies, specifically for type one diabetics. So if you do get COVID-19, just remember to bring like a week or two of supplies with you if
0: you have to be hospitalized. That's a really good tip. Thank you. The next frequently asked question for the JDRF is if managing glucose levels is key to not being at high risk, Should I be worried if my A1C is around seven? Experts agree that someone with type one diabetes and consistently elevated blood sugar levels is likely to be at greater risk of contracting the illness and having more serious complications from the disease. JDRF spoke to the experts about the range that might put someone at greater risk. And they say, don't worry about being at 6% versus 7.3%, you are not at any greater risk. If you are in good control, you will have better outcomes. For people who have an A1C of 12, Yes, they're considered high risk. And the doctors are worried about people who have A1Cs that are markedly elevated because their immune systems are not going to be able to fight this off as effectively as people who have better control. The next FAQ is, aren't people with type 1 diabetes considered immunocompromised or immunosuppressed and thus naturally at greater risk? Dr. Peters says, I don't think type 1 diabetes makes you immunosuppressed. Historically, that's how people thought of it because if your sugars are sky high, it probably makes you more susceptible to infection. But it's not immunocompromised like you're on an anti-rejection drug or getting chemotherapy, it's not the same thing. There's a glucose effect on the immune system and higher glucose levels can make the immune system less robust. But I don't see that as a state of immunosuppression in a well-controlled patient with type one diabetes. Now on a personal note, I found this perspective really interesting. We've always been told that as type one diabetics, we're immunocompromised because our immune system attack the pancreas and the cells that make insulin. But if all it means is a less robust immune system, then it begs the question, why did doctors, nurses, and CDEs tell us we're compromised? Anyway, the last FAQ we'll cover here is, are children with type 1 diabetes more susceptible? There is no evidence that children with type 1 diabetes are more susceptible to COVID-19. In fact, information that came out of China, Italy, and other areas that have longer-term exposure than the United States indicate that children are managing the illness far better than adults, with many showing little or no symptoms. According to Kim Donahue, president of the International Society of Pediatric and Adolescent Diabetes, colleagues in Italy and the Middle East report that children and adolescents with diabetes have not been adversely affected by infection. Additionally, Dr. Ann Peters says that children seem very unlikely to get symptoms. It's not that children are unlikely to catch it. It's unlikely that children will show signs of infection. And one of the problems is they can be secret vectors of this. They can be asymptomatic and spread through sneezing, coughing, and spit. So again, during this pandemic and in general, stay home if you're sick. Stay home and don't become an unintentional carrier to someone who can't handle it as well as you can. Thanks again to the JDRF for being a voice of reason among all the panic that diabetes makes us more at risk. Jesse, what is our question for this week?
1: All right. Our lovely question for you, our lovely audience this week is, have you noticed your environment affects your diabetes? Does it affect you in a good way or in a bad way? Let us know in the comments or by sending us an email or reaching out
0: to me on Instagram. <laughs> that is it for this episode of This is Type 1. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com episode 38. That's the number 38. And if you have an idea for an upcoming episode, please leave us a comment or send an email you can get straight to our podcast page by going to thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade and our audio wizard is my husband, Tim. This is the perfect time to learn how to manage your mind. If you're stressed, burned out, overwhelmed, and you want some help getting back on track and honoring your commitments to yourself, sign up for accountability coaching at inspiredforward.com slash coaching. I'm on all social media as at inspiredforward and our email is colleen at inspiredforward.com.
1: I'm on Instagram as at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send me questions or comments
0: you have about type 1 diabetes or about the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, your family, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen. Be sure to listen next week when we talk about alcohol and type 1 diabetes. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.